Uh, we're studying John chapter 17, uh, trying to discern some of the, the, the ways that Jesus prayed. Uh, you don't have to sit through this message again, Steve, if you've got something better you want to do, Elena. I will not be insulted if you uh, take a nap or leave or something. Okay, all right. Yeah. I'm trying to get him out of here so he doesn't critique me the second time. Uh, but, uh, no. But, uh, so, so Jesus prayed, and we all know that, and we're trying to learn from that. Well, I would ask the question, why did Jesus pray? Jesus was God. He and the Father were one. And, and it just seems like, what's that all about? Is he, like, is he talking to himself? And Of course, he's not doing that. But, but, the, but the point is that he felt it absolutely essential that he went to the Father on a regular basis he, he inconvenienced himself, he went by himself, he went in the early morning, stayed up late at night, so that he would be able to do that when he was doing major things, like picking the 12 disciples, he spent the night in prayer. Uh, before his crucifixion, he spent the night in prayer. Uh, all of those things, Jesus demonstrated for us this incredible sense of dependence upon the Father, communicating with the Father. And if Jesus needed that, how much do I need it? Yikes. Okay? Uh, and I would just uh, you know, extrapolate that out, and you probably do too. Right? So we're, we're trying to learn some of the things that we can from how Jesus prayed. And again, we're looking at John 17. We did it last week. We're going to do it for the next uh, two weeks. Uh, and in this John 17 prayer, uh, which is the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus, he first prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples, the actual 12, 11 disciples, uh, that were there, and then he prays for us, all future believers. We're going to spend two weeks on this portion of Scripture, uh, and, and so you'll understand why in a minute. But we're reading John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible, use the screen, open, turn your device on, scroll to John 17, uh, and we're going to read uh, those verses. And as we read them, we're inviting the Spirit of God to speak to us. So out of anticipation and respect for God and his word, we're going to stand. Uh, I'll read for you. Please follow along. John chapter 17, verses 6, 6 through 19. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Father. So the pronouns, the eyes are Jesus, the yous are the Father. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I, have, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Talking about Jesus. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Merciful Father, we thank you for your word. And through it, Father, we can know you. We thank you for the Spirit of God who teaches us, guides us into all truth. We ask, Lord, that as we study your word this morning, that you would protect these dear people from anything that I might say, an interpretation that's incorrect, an application that's inappropriate. Lord, help us to remember what you want us to remember as individuals and collectively as a church and help us forget what we need to forget. So we give ourselves, Father, afresh. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in singing and fellowship and encouragement, giving. And Lord, just rehearsing how you have used Steve and Barb all these decades in profound ways. Thank you for just the time to celebrate who you are. Again, we humbly ask that you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Notice that Jesus talks here frequently about the fact that God gave. Uh, he's talking specifically that God gave Jesus the disciples. Okay. And, and what we learn from that is that uh, the disciples, then and now, are the result of the divine initiative. It's sometimes called. The divine initiative is the fact that God pursues sinners. Holy, righteous God has chosen to love and to pursue consistently, aggressively, creatively, compassionately, people far from him. All of us, as you have heard me say many times, are on a spiritual journey. Every human being is on a spiritual journey. But where we are right now, ultimately, is eternity. And I'm in a different place on that journey than you are. You might be ahead of me in, in spiritual development. You might be behind me. But for those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, we've, we've chosen the narrow way, and we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds into the image of Christ, and we're getting more and more like Jesus. Hence, we're trying to learn how to pray like Jesus. Okay? So, we're on that journey. If you are, uh, have not made that act of uh, humble faith, we are delighted and humbled that you are here. Much of what I say will sound like gibberish to you it will be uh, foolish it will sound like foolishness it isn't isn't foolish but it will appear foolish uh, the apostle paul tells us that uh and and that's okay we're just we just invite you to to have an open heart and mind and i would like to think you're gonna feel like you, you want to get on the inside here and and, and have one of some of the benefits of being a christ follower but jesus is praying for those who had, had come to faith and who he had chosen under the direction of God, the Holy Spirit, to be his disciples, the 12, that, that unique group. But it's all because of God's initiative. Jonah says salvation is from the Lord. The Apostle Paul in Romans 14 says there's none righteous, no, not one, and there's no one who seeks God. 
So how does a person get from being a person who does not seek God to a, to a place where, where the, the Bible says that if you seek him, you will find him? Well, how can, if you don't seek, how can you seek and find? Well, that, that is the marvelous work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 6, we are told that no one comes to the Father except they are drawn by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are told that the God of this, eyes, of this age blinds the minds of unbelievers. Every person that you meet who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, are, they are spiritually blind. And they do not have the capacity to just spontaneously, on their own, come to faith. It is a process of the Spirit of God using the Word of God taught by men and women of God. How can they hear unless there's a preacher? The Apostle Paul says. Uh, so, so we present the Word of God with the confidence that God is pursuing people. And God cares about them, and the Holy Spirit will draw them to himself. And the Holy Spirit will remove the spiritual blinders, and they can come to faith. And that's what happened with these men. They were the ones that were given to Jesus by the Father. And that is the result of the divine initiative. These disciples knew who Jesus was. In the current, in the, it's in the present tense here. They know who Jesus is when this was prayed and who sent him. They had a deep, profound, life transformational understanding of who Jesus was. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And he was sent by the Father. Notice what it says in verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They know you certainly, what with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. They believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, and that he was sent by the Father. And we go back to the Sunday school verse that, that many of us have had the privilege of learning, uh, John 3.16. For God the Father so loved the world, that he, the Father, gave the Son. That's that divine initiative. God is pursuing us. Jesus came to seek and to save. Okay? And the disciples then, and a disciple today, understands that and embraces that. Jesus also points out in this prayer, because he makes this dramatic statement, notice what it says in verse 9, I am not praying for the world. He says, I'm not praying for everybody. I'm just praying for the disciples. And we tend to think, you know, well, what? Jesus not praying for the world? Not in this case he wasn't. We're going to find out eventually next week or so how we can pray for the world. And it's very specific, very specific. But the point is that the disciples are distinct from the rest of people. Again, verse 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, for those you have given me are yours. So Jesus is saying there's this group of people that you have given me, and then there's this rest of the people out there, the world. When he says the world here, he's talking about people, the world of people. There's the word world is used a variety of ways in the New Testament. In this regard, he's talking about the world of people. But they're different than we are. They're not the same. They have, they have different needs, spiritual needs. They have different realities. And there's a different eternal destination. So we need to make sure that we are distinguishing that. So here's, here's a takeaway from that. 
don't expect unbelievers, people far from God, to think and act like Christians. Well, why don't they get their act together? Why, why doesn't he stop being a jerk? Well, what, what, why doesn't she clean up her, her, her moral act? Why don't, they, why don't they quit cussing? Well, how, can, how can they spend all their money on that? And why did they go party here? You know, what's wrong with them? Why don't, they're unbelievers. They're doing their natural life. And we are in no position to be condemning or judging them. We need to, to be about being salt and light and sharing the message of Jesus, but don't expect them to act like a Christian. And don't think that we're going to solve the world's problems, the problems of the United States, through politics. It's not going to happen. We're talking about spiritual issues here. Change lives, transform lives. And so they're different. Disciples are distinct from the rest of the people. Jesus knew that, and Jesus prayed accordingly. Jesus prays that they need, in verses 10 through 19, he talks a couple, three times about the need for protection. He prays that the Father will protect them. We're going to spend all the sermon next year, next year, next week, next week, next week, next week, uh, next time, uh, on that particular request. Essentially, there's only two requests that Jesus makes in this portion of Scripture. Think about that. Jesus is praying, and, and it's Jesus, Jesus. And of all the things he could pray about, he prays for two things. One is that disciples, believers, Christ followers would be protected. And then the second, and we'll, again, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but the second is that the disciples would be unified. In verse 11, he says this. I will remain in the world no longer... But they, the disciples, are still in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them, the disciples, by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The prayer is that the disciples would be unified. Now, you remember the story of the, of the recorded force in the Gospels of the disciples. They were constantly bickering. Who's first? They, they were not unified. They, they, they were not focused on what Jesus was focused, and he had to constantly bring them back and, 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 and get them to refocus. They were all over the place, and, and they were more selfish than anything else, often. So he's praying for them because they're, they're the seed. They're, they're the plan for, the, for, for redemption to be presented to the world. That is the plan. There is no plan B. And so he knows, Jesus knows, that they need to be unified that they might be one. And then that even transfers when he starts praying for us in verse 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We'll come back to that idea momentarily. But if we are going to pray like Jesus, we have to think like Jesus. That makes sense, right? I mean, that's not, you know, I... I no, no offense, Steve, but you don't need a Ph.D. in New Testament Greek to figure that out. Okay? Uh, if we're going to pray like Jesus, we have to think like Jesus. How does Jesus think? Well, we're told in, in very clearly how Jesus thinks. One of the passages is Philippians chapter 2. Okay? Uh, and uh, 
he says, the Apostle Paul writing to the church here says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You should start thinking and processing data and interacting with the world the same way Jesus did. How did he do that? Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus had a humble commitment to obeying the Father's will, which ultimately led to being sacrificial. And if I ever want to pray like Jesus, if you ever want to pray like Jesus, we have to start thinking like that. Notice what, he said, what the Apostle Paul says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, why do we have these arguments? Why is there disunity? Why is there disunity in my life, in my family? It's because I want what I want. And I want what I want right now. And I want everybody else to want what I want. My wife and I, and she can give her opinion later. She's sitting over there. Uh, we had a little, little, we had a little uh, tiff this last week, and uh, uh, it was simply because I thought there was a way to deal with something, and she didn't quite agree with it. You know, now uh, in all candor, I think my wife should just wake up in the morning thinking, "Oh man, what a joy being married to you!" Really. I mean, if she was really smart, that's what she would think, right? And, uh, and, and, and what, do you, what do you think we should do today? How do you think we should go about life? Because you're always right, okay? Well, we all know that that's silly. I mean, that's ludicrous. But why do we fight? Because I want what I want, and she wants what she wants. And, and we, we, have, we bump in like this, and that's why you fight. That's why there's any kind of quarreling. James chapter Four says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. Think about the last time you had an argument with somebody. Maybe it was, maybe you're just a really wonderful person, and it wasn't, it wasn't until like Black Friday. And you're pulling into the parking lot, and you, that's your parking space. And you want that parking space. And somebody zips it. Well, what are you doing? It's my parking space. You didn't get what you wanted. And so there's tension. Okay? Now just that, you know, that's a silly, but it happens. Uh, kind of just extrapolate that out. That's why we all fight. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so critically important? It's important because Jesus teaches us in this prayer. That unity has great persuasive influence on people far from God. What does he say? He says, if, if, you, if you don't have this unity, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. 
People will not believe us when we talk about Jesus being the Messiah, being from God, being the Savior, if we are quibbling and fighting. And that's true in your home, and it's true in our church. And then he says, and have loved them, that they will know that you, Father, have loved them. In other words, when we start talking about God loving people, if we aren't unified, it won't happen. They won't get it. So why are our children walking away from the faith? One of the reasons is that they've watched mom and dad squabble and fight over the crazy stuff. You know, they're, rah, 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 you know. Now, Sue and I used to go to the bedroom, shut the door, and have our fights, and we actually thought we were successful until our kids become adults. It's like, you know, we used to hear everything you said. Okay, so, so the point is, is that when, when, we're, when we're demonstrating this lack of unity, when we're showing that we are selfish, they look at us and say, don't tell me about God. It has made no difference in your life. That's what Jesus says happens. Okay? So when we as a church at Berean or any other church, we had a, a, a long-standing relationship with the church in Bolivia. Uh, God has really blessed me with all kinds of experiences and opportunities that I never dreamt possible. But that church was known, I probably told you this already, that church was known as, in the community as the fighting church. Can you imagine that? They were constantly fighting. And we tried our best to help them. We never were able to pull, help them. They just wouldn't do it. Uh, so, so, but when they went out and do, would do visitation and tell people about Jesus, well, why should we listen to you? You guys can't even get along at your own church. See how that works? Jesus understood that. So, so that's the point of this. Now, we're trying to help one another get the mind of Christ. You see, the Christian life is, the battle of the Christian life is fought in the mind. That's why we're told that we are being renewed, that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's how we think. And our thinking then impacts our choices and our attitudes and our behaviors. So I would just encourage you to, to take advantage of the 21-day adventure in praying, uh, days of focused prayer, uh, there's one of these in the lobby. If we run out of those, we'll, we'll make more for you. 21 days, that's three weeks. Uh, each day has a portion of Scripture that talks about Jesus and what he taught or something about him, and then it helps us to think about it, meditate, process, and then pray about it. So we can move closer to the image of Christ, that our minds can be transformed. So take advantage of that. Let me also remind you that, this, that in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that selfish people... Don't think clearly. You have had this happen in your home. You've had it with your relationships. You've had it with your kids, with your parents, people at work, people at school, whatever. When you're, you're talking to them, and they just don't get it. They aren't able to process information. They, you're, you're pointing out something that is absolutely obvious and true, and they just don't get it. Because of selfishness. Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2. An unfriendly man, a person who doesn't care about unity, uh, pursues selfish ends. He defies all sound judgment. I, I can't imagine the number of times my wife has interacted with me 
and tried to help me understand something that was perfectly legitimate and right and logical. And I just don't get it because it's not what I want. Now, what does a, what does a, a person like this want to do? A fool, this is verse 2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding. Because who cares? It's what I want. But delights in airing his own opinions. A selfish person, which I am, it's why I get into arguments with people, usually, and, and, and I don't want to hear, don't, don't confuse me with facts, my mind's made up. Yeah. Uh, that's why this is so important. This is so critical. That's why Jesus is praying for it. Now, the Scriptures gives us some unity busters, some characteristics of people who just consistently disrupt unity. And this is true in a church. It's true in a family. It's also true in the business world and the sports world and academic world, but we're just talking about families and churches here. Okay? The first category of people would be greedy, power-seeking people. Again, Proverbs, a greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. A greedy man stirs up dissension. If I, and especially if it's about power. Almost every real argument is about power. Can I get what I want now? Power. Quarrelsome people. People who just are, are, are always around and... and uh, these, these are they're very similar characteristics. Uh, a charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You get somebody who's constantly quarreling, picking fights. There are a few people out there that actually like that. Complaining people. People who are, who are I don't like what's going on. I, I, and, and I'm going to make sure that you know I don't like what's going on. I'm going to make sure that you understand what I want, what I think, and I'm going to tell you about it, and I want you to change to do what I want and what I think. Now, that's true in so many ways. I mean, you ever have a, you ever have a, a significant discussion about where you're going to go on vacation? Or, or what about where you're going to go in a restaurant on Sunday afternoon? Okay, well, I like this one. I don't like that. We went there last week. Can we go over here? I want to go here. I mean, we never go where I want to go. You know, that, that's, that's what this is. But a complaining person. Uh, in Numbers, we have a, a very profound biblical example. Uh, there was a guy named Korah, and, and he had a following, and he organized them, and he became their spokesperson, and he was arguing against Aaron. Basically, he said, why is Aaron getting all the attention? Why does Aaron have the power that he has? Who's Aaron. I want some of that. Spread that out. I don't like the way this operation is being run. Well, this is what happened. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. It's against God because it was God's plan. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? He's, he's nobody. He's just, a, he's just a player in the thing. You're really after God. Uh, so complaining people in the story on that, that occasion, the earth opened up and swallowed them. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that today? Because I've been swallowed a long time ago. All right. Greedy, power-seeking people, horsemen people, complaining people, divisive people. There are just some people that just, it's like oil on water, and they just don't get along. We're supposed to warn them. Gossiping people. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Hey. 
beloved people at Bereans, don't be part of the gossip mill. Refuse to listen and to spread it around. And oh my, don't try to sanitize gossip by saying, would you pray for us? We're just praying for that. No, no. Stop it. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Angry people. There are some people that just, you know, have a, they're really angry. Uh, we, we, my family, Sue and I, uh, we spent uh, years and years, decades, in, in a community that has a large Italian population. Love them. My daughter married in, into an Italian family. Uh, they love life. They know how to party. They eat wonderfully. They, they're very loyal. They do things with families. And they're just wonderful people. But one of the things about the typical Italian person is that they blow up. They, you know, they, get, they, they quickly explode, and then they, oh, they back off. And, okay. and then they say something like this. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm Italian. Okay? Well, that's hooey. Okay? Uh, what that means is, is that they're just being natural. It's the natural man. So just because I have a, a tendency to be an angry person doesn't, doesn't mean that it's acceptable. Don't accept that. An angry man stirs up dissension. And a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Fearful people are unity busters. In Deuteronomy, they're getting ready to go to war. Then the officers shall add, Is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. You see what happens with fearful people is that they are, and they're in the discussion and their presence and how they think of the world, uh, and, and what happens is everybody's infected negatively by that. Oh, I don't know if we can do that because I don't, we don't have enough money. And, and why don't you, you know, wait a minute, let's think this through. Come on, don't be in such a hurry. Let, let's stop. You know, and, and, and that fear, fearful person creates an environment so much so that during war in, in Deuteronomy, they said, if you're afraid, go home. We don't want you in the ranks of the soldiers because you will create an environment that is not going to get us where we need to go. And then change-resistant people. There are just some people that, for lots of reasons, just resist change. One example is in Acts chapter 15. The church is flourishing. People are becoming saved. They're becoming believers. They, they, they've gathered in, in Jerusalem on Acts 15 to deal with a doctrinal issue. And so this is what it says. Then some of the believers who belonged to the, to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles, Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The people who were used to power said, you've got to start doing it our way. We, we don't like this change. We don't like this, this dissemination of, of and, you know, everybody's equal. What happened to our position? There's, there's a potential reality that Berean will face, maybe, uh, someday. It won't be in a few weeks. It won't be in a few months. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's quite possible. And so I want everybody to be able to see this. I spent hours creating this thing. Uh, yeah, right, okay. okay. This is called the berry bucket principle, like raspberries, blueberries. You know, The guy that came up with it, we, I don't know why he used berries. My buckets are full of marbles, okay? And so there is a reality at Berean that on February 16th, when Pastor Dan Krauss shows up, and he is our new lead pastor, all of you 
who are here now and have been part of Bereans, you're represented by this bucket. That's everybody that's here now. That bucket will never get any fuller because when Dan comes, the rules change in this illustration. Okay? So it's just the people that were here before he came. All right? You understand the distinction. So what will happen, Lord willing, uh, oh, by the way, this can't get any larger. It can get smaller. People can leave. People can leave the church. They can leave the community. People die, those things. So this number can get smaller, but it can't get any bigger because at that point in time, everybody that comes goes into this bucket. These are the people that are part of Berean after Pastor Dan shows up, okay? And so what happens, and this is a sociological thing, is that this is going to start, I know, I lost my marbles. Okay, all right. Okay, I'm going to put these in here without, and, and there's a point, and this is, you know, this is a homemade thing. It's not, it's not a scientific instrument. Uh, but uh, so, so there's going to be enough people, Lord willing, that might get smaller. This gets bigger. When what happens is it sort of does like this, okay? And, uh, and we, can, we can waste a lot of time for me trying to make this balanced, and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to hold it. But you understand the point. Now, what happens? Here's, here's the point. Here's the point. When this reality at Berean, let's say it's five years from now. I'll be long gone. You will never remember me, and that's the way it should be. But maybe if this starts to happen, somebody will say, hey, we heard about this. We were warned about this. What happens in, the, in many churches is that as this group grows, that group starts to feel ouchy. It's not our church anymore. We paid for this place. We, 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 it was our church, and it was designed the way we wanted it. It was for us, and we are comfortable with that. And now all these new people, all these new people are starting to, to create changes and needs and wants and, and things that, that, we're not talking about doctrine here. Uh, that, and so as, as this, if this continues, it'll do this. This has great potential to be absolutely disruptive. It doesn't have to be. If you, the people in this, represented by this bucket, say and mean it in your heart that what we want is for people to come to Jesus. We want people to be saved. We want people to repent and experience the forgiveness and reconciliation that Jesus came to provide. And we want them to be discipled. And we're going to make it possible for them to flourish and to grow and to contribute. And so our personal likes and dislikes are going to be surrendered to somebody else. And then when that happens, as the Lord blesses, you're happy, you're excited, you're praying, you're still involved. You're still, in, you're still being ministered to and you're still ministering, okay? But there's all this other new people, these other new things happening. 
That's healthy. But if this bucket starts to really, really complain and to stand up and to say, hey, wait a minute, no, what happened here? We never expected this. What will happen is the people represented by that bucket will walk away. And that's not what we want. We want the buckets to be full. We want, we, we want this bucket to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Don't be a person that's a, a unity buster. And don't be against what m will happen potentially as growth happens. Doesn't that, yeah, okay. Now, quickly, absolutely very quickly, two things. The scriptures give us two, two things, two, two uh, teachings about these unity busters. The first is to warn them, to talk to them, to share with them, to listen to them, to process, to answer questions. Matthew 18, maybe there's an explanation for what's going on that makes perfect sense. And, and a person that has a really heart for God, they're not going to be the person that, that won't listen to reason. Uh, then they're satisfied. Oh, I get it. Oh, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. That's not how I would have done it, maybe, but I, but I get it, and I can live with it. Okay? So we talk to them. We warn them. Uh, and again, in, in uh, uh, Titus 3, you know, we, we warn them, and we work with them over a period of time. Okay? Well, then if, if that doesn't work, if the person is not able to process and learn and, and get to a healthier place, then we have to encourage them to find a place where they can be what God wants them to be. Proverbs 22.10, drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. You have experienced this. Family reunions, there's probably somebody at your family reunions that just stirs everybody up and make everybody mad. And when that person decides to leave, the rest of the family just relaxes. I'm so glad Mike left. You know? uh, it, it happens in, in sports teams. It happens in classrooms. It happens in, in business. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing that now. There's somebody in your workplace that is just, just, just doesn't fit. And when they're gone, life gets better, easier. That's true in church world as well. And that's why the scriptures say work with them, talk to them humbly, interact with them, but if they won't come around, can't come around, then, you know, help them to find a better place. Don't forget to pick up the uh, 21 days, days of focused prayer, okay? And uh, I hope you have an, had an opportunity to say hello and, and goodbye and thank you to Spencer. Uh, I don't know if he'll still be in the gym, but that's, it's, he might be. So if you haven't had a chance to do that, check that out. And if you get a chance, uh, be sure and talk to Steve and uh, encourage him as well. Father, thank you for your word, for, its faithful, for your faithfulness through your word. Help us, Lord. Help me. Oh, Lord, help me. To not be someone who demands my own way. But I'm willing to have a heart like your heart, Father, where I humbly surrender and sacrificially give up to accomplish what you want accomplished. I pray for each of us, Father, as individuals. I pray for us as husbands and wives and moms and dads and children. Uh, 
and then Father, as, as part of the Berean family, that we would take on that new heart attitude. Please, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you.